Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The big one for me is the dog in the cemetery. That just drives me crazy. Why? Why was that dog in the cemetery? If we take the route that Megan calculated and engineered this stuff, why would that dog benefit her? And if we decide that Alex was behind that idea, why would he do that? Welcome to Killer Questions with Darren Karp. Today, we're talking all about the killing of Alex Stevens and the intense mystery that it is shrouded in. Let's get right into it. On January 4th, 2017, 24-year-old Alex Stevens and his friend Megan Schaefer make their way to a popular scenic overlook in the Appalachian Mountains of Western Maryland. It's there that the two strip naked, surround themselves with candles, with Alex's beloved cat in a cage. According to Megan, Alex was looking to commit suicide and wanted Megan to come with him. The two grabbed hands, jumped from the scenic overlook cliff down a 30-foot drop. Both actually survived this jump and spend the next few hours meandering naked through the forest on this cold, windy, rainy 32-degree night. Eventually, Alex allegedly can't take the pain of the fall anymore and insists on Megan killing him. He grabs a knife that they brought with them, puts it in Megan's hands, puts his hands over hers, and begins to stab himself in the neck. And after Alex is dead, Megan finds her way to a nearby home. Nobody's inside, but inside she finds a piece of mail with the address on it, as well as a charged cell phone that was left behind by the owners, which she uses to call for help. But I know she didn't break into my house because there's no chance I'm leaving my cell phone behind. Eight months later, just days after her 21st birthday, Megan is charged and her charges Second-degree murder, manslaughter, and assisted suicide. And that's just the gist of this story. I have a ton of questions about this case. Is Megan telling the truth? Should we believe her? What really happened on that mountain? And why the pets? There's so many rumors surrounding this case and Megan's relationship with Alex. 
On this episode of Killer Questions, I'm going to be talking through all of my most burning questions with someone who's been losing sleep over this case since the day it happened. There are so many parts about this case that have kept me wondering about it since I first heard the details. These two young people in their early 20s, one barely out of high school, coming together to create a story so tragic, it's just going to shake you to your core. With Alex, you have this handsome 23-year-old young man with a hopeful future in front of him. Honestly, the world is his oyster at 23. He's well-liked by his friends, his co-workers, everyone in between. He seems to be living a great life. Several people we talked to on our research describe him as this charismatic and probably one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. But Alex also has a bit of a darker side to him. He is finding his way in life after a failed attempt at the military. His father had just been diagnosed with cancer, horrible things. And all reports indicate that he and his father never really truly got along to begin with. So in 2016, Alex starts working at the local Ruby Tuesdays restaurant in town. This is where he meets a young woman by the name of Megan Schaefer. By all accounts, Megan is described by her friends as compassionate and a hardworking 20-year-old. Though oftentimes people refer to Megan as Alex's girlfriend, she would later clearly state for the record that they were never technically in a relationship. And the mystery of whether this young woman standing only five feet tall could somehow manage to overpower this 24-year-old man is a little baffling to me. And digging deeper into this, I want to look at the money. We all know that money is probably the most common reason for murder. I want to look at the huge sum of money that was transferred out of Alex's account just days before his death. But we'll come back to that money question a little later. First, let's focus on the night Alex died. The beginning of Megan's recount of events changes significantly in the hours following Alex's death. About half an hour after she arrived at the hospital, Megan speaks to police for the first time, stating that she and Alex were at High Rock to partake in some sort of quote-unquote cleansing ritual. This makes me think of sage, to be honest with you, and when people sage me, but I, I, I'm not an expert in this. Okay, so Megan claims that she and Alex arrived in High Rock, removed all of their clothes, and then slipped and fell off the cliff. Now, let's just picture this cliff. The cliff from which they plummeted is about a 20 to 30 foot drop, so a pretty significant drop, but not that type of fall, not that type of height that you would die upon impact. The following day, January 5th, Megan gives police a second statement. Much like the first, Megan holds to her story that she and Alex had accidentally fallen. But then, eight hours later in a third statement, Megan changes her story. This time, she says that Alex pulled her down over the cliff. Megan's claim is that both she and Alex were obviously injured from the fall, but neither died. Confused and disoriented by the fall as well as the frigid January air on top of this mountain, Alex and Megan then walk and stumble through the forest. I'd be very cold if you ask me. Eventually, Alex and Megan find themselves near a drainage ditch at the bottom of the mountain. Megan claims at this point that Alex decides he can't go on any longer with the pain from his fall. She claims that this is the point where Alex wants to die. According to Megan, Alex takes the knife they brought with them, puts it in Megan's hands, and begins to stab himself in the throat. Megan claims that she held the knife while Alex covered her hands and cut his own throat before falling face first into the water where he died. Holy shit! I mean, can you imagine being in this situation? I mean, did Megan know this is what he was going to do when he put the knife in her hands? Why didn't she just, like, 
drop the knife. How about not grabbing it? He's the one who's injured. Could she have been scared of Alex? I mean, after all, they were both in shock. They were freezing cold. They fell. And he was trying to get her to do this insane thing. Perhaps she was just intimidated. We do know that Megan first claimed Alex had cut his own throat and didn't admit to assisting with his death until the medical examiner later stated the cuts on his neck had to have been made by another person. And as far as we know, Alex never abused Megan or did anything bad to her before this horrific incident. Maybe she just wanted it to be over and thought his injuries were bad enough that he was going to die anyway, so she just gave in. Maybe this was her way of being a good person to make sure he wasn't suffering. From this scene, Megan, who is still naked and has been walking barefoot through the woods for hours with Alex, manages to find a house to seek help. It's now approximately 7 a.m. on the morning of January 4th. It's early, people. Megan enters a nearby house less than a mile from where Alex's body has been left. 911, what's the address of your emergency? When first responders arrive, Megan is naked under a blanket and hypothermic. When she informs the first responders that Alex had been left behind, a search and rescue operation begins. We were able to obtain a copy of the 911 call Megan made that morning just hours after Alex was killed. 911, what's the address of your emergency? Um, I don't know where I am. You don't know where you are? No. What's your name? Megan Schaefer. Megan, okay. What's wrong? What's going on, Megan? I'm in the woods. You're in the woods? Are you the one that was lost? I don't know. I was in the woods and I found a house. You found a house? And now I'm in the Okay. Okay, hold on. I think I found some mail. Okay, what, what, where were you at? Where did you get lost at? I, I'm in Garrett County. Okay, were you lost all night? Yeah. You Okay, were you down in the state park? Yeah. Okay, hold on. We're going to get some people out there to you, okay? Hold on, there's a house. Is, is there anybody there at the house? No, there's no one here. Okay, so you, you was there anybody else with you that was lost? Yeah, there's one of them There's nobody there? There was one other male. Okay, are you hurt or injured? Do you need an ambulance? I need an ambulance. Okay, where's the other person that was with you? They're still in the woods. Oh, we're out in the woods, do you know? I don't believe you. Okay, just stay on the phone with me. Eventually, Alex's body is found in the same condition Megan seems to have left it. He was naked, laying face down in the water, and his throat slashed severely. Now, these weren't defensive-type wounds. The medical examiner later stated that Alex's throat had at least seven distinct saw marks through it. Someone clearly wanted Alex dead. Wow, right? I mean, there's just so much to unpack here for sure. Listeners, say hi to this episode's expert guest, Teresa McMinn. Teresa is a journalist at the Cumberland Times News, the local newspaper that reported on the story. Welcome to the show, Teresa. It's incredible to have you here to chat about this. Just purely insane case. Teresa, tell me, how did you first hear about this case? How did you first get involved? What drew you to it? From the first day that I got word of it, what really drew me to the case initially was the secrecy. So for several months, police wouldn't identify the female. They also wouldn't say that she was a victim, which was kind of odd. You know, it's usually one or the other. 
Instead, they just provided enough information to sort of provoke more questions. And sitting there going through the files and just reading the details in these files, and, and the files were so informal. They're like, we were the first ones to touch these files. And there were loose receipts, originals. It was just bizarre reading the details and trying to piece together what had been happening throughout this entire case. So all of that just made me want to know more. How heavily involved were you on the reporting of this case? I lived this case. It was a case I was involved with from the time I woke up until the time I went to sleep. And as you said, I did lose sleep over it for sure. Well, Teresa, thank you for joining. Let's get right into one of the most interesting parts of this case for me. One of the other intriguing details to me is regarding Megan gaining access, easy access to this perfectly placed house. Megan is able to find her way to a nearby house, one of the only houses for miles. And not only that, she is able to gain access to this house. Hang on, is Megan just kind of breaking into this random house? Do we know anything about this house? Was this just an abandoned house? Did she have a connection to it? What do you know about this? The circumstances involving that house have always bothered me. Police reports indicated she entered it. It was unoccupied. She found the cell phone. She called 911, which, okay, granted, you can dial 911 without a passcode. But when you look at the details that led to that point, unless she knew in advance where she was going, it's pretty remarkable she not only found, but got inside that house. And Garrett County has to be one of the coldest, weirdest weather places I've ever been. Cold is an entirely different feel up there. Plus, she was naked and she was injured. And she reportedly walked through very thick woods, briars, rocks, then finds the house and it's empty. Yet she gets inside. She has her head together enough. After all of that, she has her head together enough to miraculously find this phone and get an address. It's for sure hard to believe. And that said, I've never heard anything to suggest that she knew the owners of the house. I mean, I was born in the 80s. I am in my mid-30s. And one of the things we always say when we leave is phone wallet keys. I mean, phone is the main ingredient of what we hold into our pockets here. So even if she was able to break into this house, finding this perfectly charged cell phone seems to be too perfect to possibly be true. It feels remarkably lucky. If Alex and Megan are going to this cliff to do some secretive thing. If they are trying to do it secretly, would they not have seen this house kind of in the background, been worried about someone calling the police? I mean, how far away was Megan's kind of claiming this house was from this cliff that Alex and Megan jumped off of? Okay, so a couple of things. If we're talking about the night that they jumped or fell as if it were the very first time they had been to that cliff, then yes, that night in the dark, they would not have been able to see that house. I've climbed that cliff. I've been up there. They would not have been able to see the house. But we have Stephen Moon later testifying, Stephen Moon being the best friend of Alex, that when he went to the cliff to find them, he climbed an old fire tower near the rocks. And on a very clear day from the top of that fire tower, you can see a lot of stuff. But that night, it was foggy. Stephen Moon testified that. 
It was dark, and that prevented him from seeing much of anything. Then you look at the court records, and they state that Jay Stevens, Alex's father, had said it appeared the activity taking place in the woods surrounding that house had been planned for roughly two weeks. Then we have Megan testifying that she waited until sunrise before she started walking and found the house. (sighs) That leads so many more questions that I think I have for you. Do we know what sorts of injuries Megan had sustained from the fall? I mean, she was obviously able to kind of walk along, find some sort of rescue here. Is this even feasible with the injuries she had? Yeah, all very good questions. I mean, besides her injuries from exposure, such as frostbite, Megan had a broken shoulder and possible broken back. A Maryland state police officer also testified that a doctor had told him Megan had undergone a CAT scan that showed she had no head or brain injuries. You know, she's obviously hurt to a degree. Even in the best of circumstances, I can't imagine falling from those rocks. We're not talking about jumping off a terribly high place. We're talking about probably hitting a bunch of edges of rocks on your way. Let's listen again to that 911 call Megan placed from the empty house. Can you hear Megan's fragile, and I mean really fragile state? Hey, Megan, just stay on the phone. Where's where's the other person that you were with? What's his name? Alex. Alex what? Stevens. Alex Stevens? And where's Alex? He's still in the woods. Okay, was he okay? No. Is, is, he, is he hurt or is he... I believe he's dead. You think he's dead? Yes. Well, what ha- Did you both fall off the cliff? Yes. Okay, 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 just stay on the phone with me. Okay, just... Okay, I'm, I'm gonna get... I'm, I'm getting you an ambulance started too, okay? Please, The officers are, are on their way. I'm hurt so Are you up at the old fire tower, Megan? Is that where it happened? That's where it happened. Okay, yeah. But I'm not there now. Yeah, I know, I know. We got we got your you're at the house there. We're getting help to you. I was just I'm just trying to figure out where Alex is so we can go check on him. So in the call we just heard, you can hear that Megan was signaling to emergency service responders that there was another person in the forest who may be deceased after falling from a cliff. Teresa, what do we know about this potential other person? And can we kind of agree here that Megan's story is a little far-fetched? That's one of the things that's bothered me about this whole case. You know, the part of me that wants to think that she had a plan as she went into this and she thought out what she was going to do and how she was going to handle the situation. None of that makes sense after she starts opening her mouth. You know, she starts telling one story, then the police leave, and then she calls them back. She tells them another story. If you want to think about Megan as being calculating, I don't know why she didn't have more of her details put together. Well, that is sort of this main question here, because if she is as manipulative and calculating as maybe all this case being shrouded in mystery would lend itself to be, she's either bad at doing that or just didn't plan it out. I mean, if Megan truly killed Alex in the way that she has testified, why do you think she would immediately have rescuers looking for him? And moreover, she doesn't really mention anything about a stabbing. 
Is it possible someone else is involved and Megan doesn't know Alex has been stabbed yet at that point that she's calling 911? Included in various accounts that Megan told the first paramedic at the scene, she said Alex cut himself and he had fallen on the knife. In another comment, she said the male had been standing in a body of water and the young man wanted to kill himself, cut his own throat. And then she went on to say that Alex collapsed face down into the water and her prints would be found on the knife. So it's not like she didn't mention the stabbing, but she left all of these little cryptic pieces of information, you know, little pieces of perhaps truth laced into her story. If there's one thing I know as a true crime vet at this stage of my life, it's following the money, people. The money always says the truth. And this leads us to one of the most fascinating details of this case for me about the days leading up to Alex's death. That was such a pressing question for me for such a long time. I didn't understand why this case wasn't more about the money. It seemed like such a clear motive to me, right? Now, Alex is a 24-year-old from a small town nestled in the Appalachian Mountains, and he had $188,000 sitting in an investment account. This is impressive at any stage, let alone a 24-year-old guy having this. When police arrived at Alex's apartment after finding him murdered, they find documents sitting on his dining table indicating that the money had already been transferred to someone else. Included on the documents was Megan Schaefer's personal information, indicating that Alex was transferring the entirety of the $188,000 over to her. That's a nice lump sum of money. And later reporting by the Times News in Cumberland, Maryland, revealed that Alex had actually transferred the money to Megan a week prior on December 28th and then closed the account. Now, that would lead one to assume that this decision was not a spur of the moment one, but a, a planned action. At least it seemed like that. I mean... Seems like a big decision taking all of your entirety of your savings and just, you know, doing it in one fell swoop to someone else. It's kind of odd that Alex would jump through the logistical hoops of just transferring this large amount of money, which is no easy feat, into Megan's name, knowing that he had this suicide pact planned for the two of them. Do we know for sure, Teresa, that Alex was the one who transferred the money to Megan? No, we don't know that for sure. And it's unclear whether Alex personally transferred that $188,000 to an account and named Megan as beneficiary, or if the transaction occurred online. Megan's lawyer argued, and this is a quote, there's a hell of a lot easier ways, end quote, for someone to get money than ending up at the bottom of a cliff naked in the winter. We also have Jay Stevens at one point telling me that, quote, we actually know very little about how that transpired. And that was about the money transfer. Because that is all personal and confidential information, it's not records that we're privy to. Now, we also know that following Alex's death, his father Jay was able to put a temporary hold on the account to prevent the money from transferring to Megan's account. Do we know if Megan ever got this money after she was convicted or what happened to this 188K? Megan's attorney had said the civil case over the money would have to wait until there was resolution of the criminal charges. He said at that time, it all ties together at this point. 
So ultimately, from my understanding, she did not get the money. Do we know if anyone else connected to Alex knew about this large amount of money? At 24 years old, I would think my parents might know what's in my account of some sort, even if I'm an independent adult. That is a high amount of money for a 24-year-old to have. Would anyone be after it for any reason? His dad told me that the money came from his dad's sister, who had never had children of her own. She loved her nephew and wanted to leave him a sizable amount of money. She gave him the seed money that he started growing and investing. And then for your other question, is there anybody else who might have had a reason or or a way to gain that money? Not that I know of. I was never told of anyone else connected to that money. Does this possibly indicate that Alex, who had allegedly shown signs of suicidal tendencies, perhaps, according to reports from people close to him, was ridding himself of his money and belongings before ultimately killing himself in the sacrifice? Do we know of anything else that he was giving away at the time? I don't know of anything else that he was giving away. Was he ridding himself of different stuff that he didn't find valuable or had bad memories connected to it? Maybe. But the people who said he had been suicidal earlier in his life also said at the time just before his death, he was healthy. He was happy. He was making plans for the future. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hold up. 
Another thing in this case that I always found to be particularly fucked up is how Alex's pets were involved. Now, I'm an animal lover, people. Pets are always going to affect me more than anything else, but... Just hear me out on this, okay? The night Alex goes missing, Stephen Moon, Alex's best friend since high school, drives to High Rock to look for him and Megan. And as he searches, Stephen discovers a scene of burned candles, as well as Alex's pet cat in a cage. The candles he finds had been lit, but are now extinguished. And the biggest and weirdest mystery regarding his pets is his dog. Alex's grandmother reported that he had showed up at his parents' home earlier in the day and took the dog with him. But the dog wasn't found at High Rock. It was found in its cage, located in a cemetery 10 miles from High Rock in Frostburg, Maryland, which is not far from Alex's apartment in his parents' home. And the cemetery is known by Alex's friends as a place where he would describe as peaceful and relaxing. And according to people close to him, Alex often frequented this cemetery when he wanted to calm his mind and relax. I know it seems a little odd to think of cemeteries as relaxing, but if you've ever walked around one, there is some sort of peace that you do feel. The dog was found by some random passersby, and it's not clear how long after the incident this dog was found, but certainly the circumstances of how the dog was found was determined. Megan will later say that she and one of Alex's friends, Stephen Moon, drove the dog to the cemetery and left it there. Why? Like, I don't understand why the fuck they would do that. Now, apparently Alex told Megan she shouldn't worry because he would come back for it. But what the fuck? Why are you why are you leaving the dog in the first place? Why in a cage? Hell, I'll take the fucking dog from you if you just don't want to be around it for a few hours. This detail is weird as hell and seems totally disconnected from the events at High Rock. And it just makes me wonder... How long exactly did the dog sit alone, abandoned, and why in a cage, and why 10 miles away? Why take it from your grandmother? What's the significance of leaving a dog in a cemetery he frequented, not even near this potential ceremony that you're running? This seems like such a bizarre point to this case. It's so weird that it almost makes me more inclined to believe Megan's story. I mean, clearly she wasn't making up this specific point. It does give credence to the idea that maybe more of the weird story was also potentially totally true and it just is weird and not necessarily not believable and it's just one of those things that we're just going to call weird. Okay, so some quick reminders. January 4th, 2017, Alex Stevens is found dead, stabbed multiple times in the neck. His friend Megan Schaefer is the only person alive who knows how this happened. She says she didn't kill him. Should we believe her? Let me tell you what else I found out, starting with the moments before Alex's horrific death. We actually know a lot of details that happened before Megan and Alex ever got to High Rock based on police reports. Friends and family reported seeing a change in Alex in the reports leading up to his death. Alex had seemingly suddenly kind of become interested in drugs. Not unlike a lot of young 20-year-olds or a lot of adults in general, but certainly young 20-year-olds. A subreddit that Alex frequented shows him waxing about certain types of drug tips and life experiences that seem far-fetched to the average person. And another thing we know for sure is that Alex and his father were not getting along. Alex's dad, who has unfortunately recently passed away, was diagnosed with cancer, and Alex was just not handling the news well. He had a lot going on in his personal life, to say the least. Honestly, any type of relationship with your parents is going to be complicated, and it's going to affect you, let alone one that's dying on his deathbed it's probably more fraught with emotional turmoil. And many people close to Alex, including his best friend Stephen Moon and his parents Jay and Janet Stevens, also had reportedly heard Alex mentioning suicidal tendencies. Now, Megan will later claim that this entire day was meant to be a ridding of his belongings, culminating in a suicide at High Rock. Again, joining me is Cumberland Times journalist Teresa McMinn. 
Now, Teresa, we do know that one theory about motive that makes this case particularly interesting to me is the idea of a suicide pact between Alex and Megan. Could you tell us a little bit about that suicide pact that they allegedly had? Yeah, the suicide pact bothers me, too. I don't recall any of Megan's statements to police or during testimony that indicated she was suicidal, ever. Additionally, court records indicated that while she denied killing Alex, she also said she had no intentions to hurt herself. I just don't buy the suicide pact. There's just a lot about Megan's claim that Alex wanted to make a suicide pact with her that struck me, and it struck me as odd. Now, for one thing, if she's now asserting that the two of them went up to High Rock to kill themselves... Why didn't she do it? If she was having second thoughts, why did she kill him instead of trying to stop him? What was her logic there? Why is only one of them surviving? Is there a world, though, for me, where this is just two kids who are just really into the idea of satanic rituals and maybe don't understand the consequences of what could happen? What if Alex was kind of into the idea of being sacrificed and paid Megan to kill him? I mean, even though it's obviously illegal to do that, if he asked her to do it, and he even paid her to do it, maybe giving consent is really the entirety of this case. And it's just one of those things that we're judging, but it really is a consensual act. Another question that keeps me curious about this case is regarding her charges. Megan is charged with both second-degree manslaughter and assisted suicide initially. Did the jury rule on both charges, or was assisted suicide dropped at one point, Teresa? So she was charged with second-degree murder, manslaughter, and assisting another to commit or attempt to commit suicide. According to the Garrett County State's attorney, Megan had made various statements that provided probable cause and evidence that, depending what the jury believed, could have led to a verdict on any of the three charged crimes. And what they concluded was the second-degree charge, which also carried the heaviest penalty, was established by the evidence. And then we have to take a look at Megan's account of what happened when Alex was killed. Megan claims that after falling, Alex couldn't take the pain from his injuries anymore and wanted to kill himself. Megan claims that he then handed her the knife, put his hands over hers, and used her hands to cut his own throat. However, medical examiners at the trial testified that there's absolutely no way that the wounds found on Alex's throat could have been self-sustained. So that doesn't seem to make much sense due to the angle of the knife. It just wasn't happening. According to the state assistant medical examiner, who is the one, the only one who examined the body, that would be impossible and did not happen. So what evidence would the state have to charge her with assisted suicide in the first place? From my understanding, the state based the assisted suicide charge on Megan's statements to police. The Garrett County state's attorney said Megan told various stories of how Alex ended up dead. And and she settled on, that was a quote, a claim that he pulled her off the cliff. While she held a knife in his hand, he grabbed it back and cut his own throat. The state assistant medical examiner testified that there was a sawing motion, and and she talked of multiple deep slashes to the neck of Alexander Stevens. She said his cause of death was from sharp force injuries in the neck, and the manner of death was homicide. There were no characteristics of a suicidal cutting wound. But then we have Megan's lawyer who calls a forensic pathologist consultant as an expert witness. 
this guy agreed with the state assistant medical examiner whose office performed the autopsy on Stevens that the cause of death was from sharp force injuries in the neck. However, he had examined photos of the body, only photos of the body, and autopsy and police reports. And he disagreed with the state examiner on the manner of death. So Megan's expert testified that her statements were indeed consistent with suicide. It just wasn't believable. It just wasn't believable. You had all of this detailed medical evidence by a person who actually examined him stacked against this one guy who honestly spent the majority of his time testifying on his qualifications. So for eight months after she walked through the freezing forest at night, having left behind Alex, Megan is living life until a few days after her 21st birthday when she's charged with second-degree murder, manslaughter, and assisted suicide. Megan pleads not guilty to every single charge, but the details of the trial become increasingly odd as well. At trial, Megan offers an additional detail about the night she didn't seem to indicate in the previous interview with police, which is pretty sussy to me. While being interviewed by her attorney on the stand, Megan claims that she was terrified of Alex. She claimed that she drove with him to pick up the animals, stopped at his apartment, went to High Rock with him because she was scared of what he would do if she didn't. Alex's own father, Jay Stevens, also testifies and gives a passionate and commanding testimony that seems to grip the courtroom. After a five-day trial, the jury deliberates and Megan Schaefer is convicted of second-degree murder. Weeks later, she's sentenced to 30 years in prison for her conviction. And in the years since Megan was sent to prison, she has attempted to appeal her conviction, and those appeals have been unsuccessful. Megan has not spoken out since her sentence. I've got a couple more killer questions for you, if you don't mind, Teresa. As I kind of look at this entire case as a whole, do you have any idea whether Megan and Stephen Moon have kept in touch? I feel as though they must share such a strange bond over this case, for lack of a better term. Remember, Stephen helped Megan drop the dog in the cemetery earlier that day. Wow, Megan and Stephen Moon. So there is no part of my brain that believes Stephen Moon would ever want to keep in touch with Megan Shaver. No way. I believe Stephen Moon believes she killed his friend. Did you expect this case to unfold when it first piqued your interest with all the details you had originally known? Did you expect this case to unfold the way that it did? Okay, so I went into this before there was testimony, really not knowing what to expect because there were so very many strange pieces of information connected to the case just going in. I just would love to have been part of or been able to witness the conversation between Megan and her attorney, I would want to hope that her attorney said, for the love of God, you don't want to get on that stand because it was a disaster. But she did. She got on the stand. She testified. That shocked me. I wasn't expecting that. I have to ask you this as someone who's obviously extremely intimately close to the case, who got to see the faces of people making their cases. Do you think she's guilty of murder or is there somewhere in between that you think half her story is true and the other half isn't? What do you believe in here? I believe there are enough tidbits of the truth laced in Megan's stories to make us second guess what the hell happened. But when the medical examiner came out and said there's no way Alex could have done this to himself, I believed the medical examiner. What do you think's next for Megan? Is this 
it for her? From my understanding, I believe technically she's exhausted her appeals. So I I don't know what's ahead of Megan other than her probably walking free when she's, I guess, in her 50s. And of course, you know, with all of these questions, the shrouded in mystery, with what we know, with what we've sort of seen, Megan changing her stories, alternating her theories, do you think we're ever going to get the truth? None of it makes sense. You know, every time I think that I've made a story in my brain, there's something like the dog in the cemetery that screws it all up. It just makes it not make any sense anymore. I don't know. Okay, Teresa. Now, given... Everything you know, everything you think you know, everything you don't think that you think that you know. (laughs) What's your best theory for what happened on that cliff? I think, and there are people who are going to call me out on this, I know, but I still feel it. I think somehow Megan is the one who lured Alex up to that cliff. And I wonder if she's the one who got the pets involved. What trips up that whole theory, though is the dog in the cemetery. There are questions that I that I ask. There are things that I question. For example, Megan testified she followed Alex to the cliff. There, there were two different cars. We know that. But did she follow him? Or did she get there first and lure him up there? We know that Stephen Moon suspected that's where he should look for them at the cliff because he'd gotten a text from Alex asking for the coordinates. Did that text come from Alex? You know, I don't have one theory of, okay, here's how everything went down. I really wonder if Megan wasn't the one to go up there first. As we answer one question, I would say three or four more probably pop up, not only for me, but certainly for you. Are there any killer questions that you still have about this uh, that we haven't covered here today that are a thorn in your side that you just wish we could answer? I mean, we touched on this lightly, but the the big one for me is the dog in the cemetery. That just drives me crazy. Why? Why was that dog in the cemetery? If we take the route that Megan calculated and engineered this stuff, why would that dog benefit her? And if we decide that Alex was behind that idea, why would he do that? Why would he just leave that dog in the cemetery It wasn't even his dog. It was his mother's dog. And from everything that I know in talking to the family and talking to friends of the family, yes, there's a lot of discussion about how Alex and his dad had some problems at certain times, but I've never heard anything saying Alex had a hard time with his mother. From everything I know, Alex adored his mother. And, and I've, I've talked to this lady several times. She's truly one of the sweetest people you're ever going to meet. Why would he take her dog and put it in the cemetery? I just don't understand that. I just, I just can't understand that. I can't either. So at least I don't feel as dumb. <laughs> at least I don't feel dumb if you, being so close to this case, still have that question. And anytime there's animals involved, I get a little, uh, I get more close to the case, of course. Teresa, you are absolutely incredible and wonderful, and I'm sure I can speak for everyone involved in this case. Thank you for your work and your time and your dedication to at least finding the right answers and finding justice. So thank you so much, Teresa. Thank you. 
I'm just kind of wondering, did any of you expect this case to unfold the way it did? Ultimately, do you believe Megan's story? Do you think she's guilty of murder? Is there somewhere in between that we can kind of even parse out? All I know is she's guilty of something. I'm just not quite sure what that guilt is and if this sentence actually makes a lot of sense. But something went down in those woods and on that cliff, and we just may never know. My thanks again to Teresa McMinn, local reporter from the Cumberland Times, for taking the time to talk to me. Obviously, we're going to keep an eye on any developments in this case. One thing is for sure, regardless of my own questions about this, we hope justice was served for the Stevens family who have gone through a lot in this extremely difficult and senseless loss. For you guys listening to the show, what are your killer questions for this case? You can message me on social media at Carpe Darren. I'm Darren Carp. Thanks for listening to Killer Questions. For even more true crime from ID, and you want that, head to Discovery Plus. Go to discoveryplus.com slash killer questions to start your seven-day free trial today. That's discoveryplus.com slash killer questions. Terms apply. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.